me in God's holy word to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. And a number of weeks ago, I, I had um, been praying and had decided that we would do just a little mini-series in the book of Romans, um, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, but the more I looked at that and read and prayed over the book of Romans, I could not resist. So we're just going to start in chapter 1. We will eventually, Lord willing, get to chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, but... Uh, we're going to be going through, uh, Lord willing, uh, the book of Romans together. And I'm so excited. It's just such a, a, a rich portion of, of God's holy word. And, and, of course, that's true no matter where you turn uh, in all of, of Scripture. Um, our text this morning, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. But our text that we're going to look at is verses 1 through 7. And so please give careful attention uh, as we hear the word of the living God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin looking at this portion of your holy, infallible, inerrant word, we are full of joy, and we are excited as your little children, Lord Jesus, at the beginning of this brand new year uh, to be uh, going through this portion of Scripture together. And we beg that you would show us your glory, Lord Jesus, and that you would take us by the hand as our good shepherd 
and that not only would you revive our hearts to love and hope in you, clinging to you, hating and forsaking our sin and turning our back anew on the world, but that, Lord, you would take us by the hand and you would teach us your paths. It is our heart's desire, Lord, to follow you, to belong to you, to live in you and with you and for you. And so bless us, Lord. Come by your Spirit and take this, the very word of your mouth, and preach it to my heart and the hearts of your lambs this day. In Jesus we pray. Amen. The introduction to the book of Romans, verses 1 through 7, uh, is full of amazing information. And so the first thing that I want us to do is to identify uh, the people that are being referred to in this introduction. Who the book is from, who the book is to. It is very straightforward, and yet it is indeed profound. The very first thing that we see in verse 1 is the human author of this book. Obviously, he was a tool in the hands of the sovereign great God who used this man to write this portion of Holy Scripture. Not only do we see that the book of Romans, but so many of the epistles in the New Testament uh, were given through this man, the Apostle Paul. That in and of itself is an amazing fact, an amazing truth. If you'll turn back with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, <coughs> we see in Acts chapter 7, uh, one of the original deacons who was called to also then uh, uh, be an evangelist, um, he is proclaiming the gospel. Uh, he is defending the faith before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And there is a young man uh, who is there cheering on the angry mob. We see at the end of chapter 7, Stephen's testimony um, in verse 51 and following, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, 
he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. In chapter 9, in verse 1, we see uh, this man, Saul of Tarsus. What kind of guy was he? Well, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc? In Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. One more passage in the book of Acts. If you'll turn with me. <clears throat> Acts chapter 26. Later, the Apostle Paul, he is now before King Agrippa. And he is recounting again and gives us just a few more details. 
in Acts 26, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. And therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. In midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Incredible. This man who was a fierce, brutal, blaspheming enemy of the living God is on his way to do his thing and Jesus appears. Jesus arrests Saul of Tarsus. And Saul's testimony in Galatians 2 is, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. Turn with me to Galatians 2. I want you to see this testimony. I want you to just stop and think with me for a moment of these first few words in the book of Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What an amazing God the God of the Bible is. He has the power to save the most hopeless, the most wicked, the most fallen of all men and women. And here the Apostle Paul declares his testimony. Verse 20, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you imagine what must have gone through Saul of Tarsus' mind? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is Jesus persecuting? Followers of the Lamb. All of those who are the way, who have attached themselves to Jesus of Nazareth. That's what was behind this question. Who are you, Lord? You can just hear the wheels turning. The Apostle Paul says, Surely it can't be, it can't be, it must not be the one that I have sought to stamp his name off the face of the earth. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Apostle Paul was never the same. He was a new man. He now belongs to the one who bled and died for him. He now belongs to the one that has rescued him. And so turn back with me to the book of Romans, and I want you to notice now how the Apostle Paul describes himself, how he describes God Almighty, how he describes the Savior, how he describes his brothers and sisters, in Christ, it's all different now, all because of Jesus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He doesn't start out by saying, I'm an apostle. He starts out saying, I am a bond slave. I am one who has been purchased. I do not belong to myself. I am here to do the master's bidding. It is my delight and joy to live for the one who laid down his life for me upon the cross. Paul, <coughs> a servant of Christ Jesus. Yes, God had not only purchased him with his own precious blood, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, when he was traveling, he called for the elders of uh, the church in Ephesus to come and meet him. Um, he's on his way to stand trial uh, there in uh, uh, Rome. Uh, he will uh, go to Jerusalem and then from there on. Um, and here we see in uh, Acts uh, chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul is testifying of these uh, uh, elders, of his ministry. Um, uh, look at verse um, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only... I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he's all about Jesus now. He's all about calling people to love and believe and trust in the one that he at one time hated with such passion. He is now all about pleading and inviting and begging others to join with him in loving the Redeemer. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again, and therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole 
counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops or overseers to care for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus is precious to the Apostle Paul. Paul, a bondservant, a servant of Christ Jesus. Jesus had called him to be an apostle. The apostles were men that God raised up to lay the rest of the foundation upon which the church is built. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, the term apostle uh, is uh, from the Greek uh, a term apostello uh, that literally means to send. An apostle is a sent one. And if you want to do a fascinating word study, go through the Gospel of John and just note all of the references to Jesus being the one that the Father sent. Jesus is the apostle. He is the sent one. And all of these other apostles, uh, they are ones that Jesus now had called unto himself and had given the task of fleshing out, laying the foundation upon which the church would be built. The prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, we see that the city of God has these 24 elders, these 24 stones, 12 representing the 12 tribes of the people of God in the Old Covenant, and then the 12 apostles. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 19, so then you are no longer talking about Gentiles, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, notice verse 20 now, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And in the book of Acts chapter 1, you can read about one of the qualities or character traits that you had to meet to be an apostle. You had to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ from the time of his baptism until his resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul identifies himself as an apostle untimely born. He was the exception to the rule. Yes, he did see the risen, exalted Christ, but it was after Jesus had ascended up into heaven. And on that road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus pulled the curtain back and revealed his glory to Saul of Tarsus. Back to the book of Romans, the apostle Paul now is one of the men that Jesus is giving the rest of the New Testament scriptures. This foundation upon which the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built. Christ himself, the cornerstone. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And when was Saul of Tarsus set apart? Well, that's an interesting question. If you'll turn again with me to the book of Galatians chapter 1, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased 
to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. In other words, the apostle Paul did not get his gospel which is the same gospel that Peter preached and the same gospel that John preached and the same gospel that Thomas preached, where did he get his gospel? It wasn't from the other apostles, but it was from the Lord Jesus himself who taught the apostle Paul. And notice in verse 15, Paul says, looking back, even before I loved Jesus God had set me apart for all of this. Even from my mother's womb, even before I was born, God set me apart. That's who this book is from. It is not only from Paul, but ultimately this book, this book of Romans is from God Almighty. God Almighty is speaking he is revealing the glory of his son all through Holy Scripture. As we were reminded uh, uh, last Lord's Day evening uh, from Pastor Hal, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And, of course, the book of Romans is no exception. The book of Romans focuses on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And right at the beginning, we see the Apostle Paul saying, I have been sent on a mission. I'm a sent one from the sent one from the Father. The Son has sent me and set me apart for the gospel of God, the good news. What do we learn about this good news? Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. <coughs> this gospel, this good news, uh, has been down through the ages. And we could go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, and see that God himself, as he cursed the serpent, begins with the first proclamation of the message of life and hope, that in the fullness of time, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. As we read in the book of Jude, Enoch prophesied and saw by the eye of faith that the Son of God would not only come in the fullness of time to purchase redemption, but he would come to end history in blazing glory and fire and judgment. And all through the Old Testament, it is the message of life and hope. That is what we see, the testimony of the Lord Jesus to Ananias. He is the one now who will proclaim the gospel that the prophets had announced. That's what the Apostle Paul tells King Agrippa. I just believe what all of our fathers believed. All of Scripture focuses on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul now in verse 2 says, This God, he had promised the gospel beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And it's all about who? It's concerning his son. And there are two things that he highlights about the Son. In verse 3 and in verse 4. Verse 3, he highlights that this glorious Savior was descended from David according to the flesh. That Messiah is a man. Now, you, you may think, well, why is that such a, a, a big deal? And we will not take the time this morning to go over in the book of Hebrews. But just stop and think. 
If Jesus was not fully man, he could not be our substitute. He is fully, really one of us. And as the book of Hebrews says, that it was necessary for him to partake of our flesh so that he could rescue us. It was necessary for him to be tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And in the Old Testament, God had promised that it was through not only Abraham and not only Isaac and not only Jacob, but now it would be through the tribe of Judah and it would be particularly the household of Jesse and even Jesse's son, David, that Messiah would issue forth. Indeed, Jesus is that descendant of David. I would encourage you in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Psalm 89, you can read about those wondrous promises that God gave to his servant David, that in the fullness of time, God would raise up a son who would descend from David, who would be the king who would sit upon the throne of God forever. That is what the angel announced to Mary in Luke chapter 1. He will be great, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He is descended from David according to the flesh. But notice verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Not only is Jesus fully man, but he is fully God. And when he came forth from the tomb, the Father was declaring, I am well pleased with my son. You remember when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven boomed. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples heard the Father's voice. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And finally, it's as if God Almighty put a huge exclamation point. This indeed is my son. This indeed is God who has come to rescue my people. Death could not hold the son of God. Only God can save. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 45, and this is a, a, a precious passage of Scripture. This was the text that was being read uh, repeatedly and stumbled over when Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, was converted uh, uh, back in the 1800s. But it is also a text that you'll notice is quoted in Philippians chapter 2. And so we'll start reading in verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. And all of the isms in our day and time, progressivism and socialism and wokeism and all of the isms, uh, they are worthless, worthless excuses of messages of life and hope and salvation. Only Jesus can save. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? 
and there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, a righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Where are we going to be made right with God? Only in the Lord. Only in the Lord Jesus. Only God can save. And so Romans 1 tells us that not only is Jesus fully man, he's descended from David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the Apostle Paul now comes back to this message and mission that Jesus had sent him on, through whom we have received grace. And if you love Jesus, you have received grace. Jesus, just as he did with Saul of Tarsus, if you love Jesus, he reached down his hand and he opened your eyes and took the scales off of your eyes and my eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and drew us unto himself. And we heard the voice of Jesus calling us to believe in him. And we, like the Apostle Paul, have said, Lord, I belong to you. Lord, I am your bond slave. Lord, you send me on life's mission. Lord, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to be, I will be. Lord, come by your Spirit and take your holy word and write it upon my heart and my life. O Lamb of God, I am your servant. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Yes, there are very unique things about the Apostle Paul. God is not calling me or you to be apostles. Uh, that train has left. Uh, only one foundation will be laid. The scriptures have been completed. Uh, but Jesus does call us to be apostles, little a. We all are servants of the living God. If we belong to Jesus, he bought us with his blood. And we are here to do the master's bidding. We're not here to do our own thing. And we also are sent forth into this dark world to be light bearers in our own hearts, in our thinking, uh, to stand for Jesus, to live for him, to seek to establish a Christian home, to seek to honor Jesus in our callings, to be a part of a biblical church family, to lift up the name of Jesus together. Oh, we have work to do. And the nations yet need being made disciples. You remember the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Here we have this reference to the obedience of the nations. What is this deal about the nations? Well, God is so good. He is so worthy to be loved and praised and worshipped that it is not proper for just a few people here and there to love him. But it is the revealed will of God Almighty that the nations of the world 
come under the saving power and sway of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Going, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. Turn with me to Psalm 2. And we don't have time to look at this in detail, but in the middle of this psalm that is quoted over and over in the New Testament, we see the Son telling us what the Father told him. Now, I'm going to say that again. In the middle of this psalm, the Son of God is telling us what the Father told him. <coughs> Look at verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. So here's the father speaking to the son. And Jesus is telling us, here's what the father told me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now look at verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Think about it. The Father told the Son, and Jesus, he, he's telling us. He's saying, here's what the Father told me. The Father told me, Son, if you would just ask of me, I will do what? If you ask me, I will give you, look at verse 8. I will make the nations your heritage. Who's the I? It's the Father. And the son is saying, here's what the father told me. And he's telling us. And the ends of the earth, your possession. Now turn back with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And here we see in verse 5, the apostle Paul, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And these people lived where? Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome. The capital of the Roman Empire. And what is God at work doing? He is at work saving his lost sheep. Establishing a beachhead to attack the realm of darkness just as the Lord Jesus revealed to Saul of Tarsus that he recounted to King Agrippa that these people would turn from the realm of darkness to light from the power of Satan to God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing that I would draw your attention to before we close is notice these dear people in Rome. How did the Apostle Paul view them? And this is a description for every child of God, for you, for me. Look at verse 5. We are those who have heard the voice of Jesus calling us to turn our back on the world and believe in Jesus and follow him. Who are we? We are the called who belong to Jesus Christ. Who called us? Jesus. God Almighty has called us just like he called Saul of Tarsus to follow him. Who are we? Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. 
What amazing, amazing grace that God would love us. I've broken all of God's holy commandments. I'm like Saul of Tarsus. Saul had the blood of Christians dripping from his hands. Undoubtedly, there was not a place the Apostle Paul could go but what there weren't people who either were directly or indirectly related to somebody that he had in his previous life maimed and hurt. But he now belonged to Jesus, and his joy was to lift up that glorious name and to be spent for the king. And so it is with us. God has work for us to do. And we need to view our lives as God has put his hand upon us, calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light to be bond slaves of Jesus. We are sent ones. We are those who have been called. We are loved by God. Called to be saints, holy ones. No longer thinking and acting like the world, but more and more pressed into the mold of the King of glory. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who this book is from. That's who this book is to. Oh, the Lord has good things in store for us as his little children. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living, eternal, powerful word that comes from your mouth, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we confess that there are times we forget who you are. We're ashamed. There are times we forget who we are. Called to belong to you, Lord Jesus. Called to be saints, holy ones. Called to turn our back on the world. Called to be bond servants, Doing the master's bidding. And so forgive us, Lord. And revive our hearts this day to love you. Lord, we're excited about you taking us by the hand and leading us through this glorious portion of your word. Bless us now as we sing and as we conclude our worship this day. Indeed, you are to be praised and loved and adored. And we do so in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen.